0: You are listening to the LTN Book Club, a bi-weekly read-along podcast positioned at the intersection of nerd and literary culture. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club.
1: Hello, and welcome to LTN Book Club. Uh, Today, we are talking about Piranesi by Susanna Clarke. Content warnings for the book, some of this which we will discuss in the podcast, Um, use of firearms, abduction, gaslighting, drowning, and language. Uh, The blurb from the back of the book, Piranesi's house is no ordinary building. Its rooms are infinite, its corridors endless. Its walls are lined with thousands upon thousands of statues each one different from all of the others. Within the labyrinth of halls, an ocean is imprisoned. Waves thunder up staircases. Rooms are flooded in an instant. But Piranesi is not afraid. He understands the tides as he understands the pattern of the labyrinth itself. He lives to explore the house. There's one other person in the house, a man called The Other, who visits Piranesi twice a week and asks for help with research into a great and secret knowledge. But as Piranesi explores, evidence emerges of another person, and a terrible truth begins to unravel, revealing a world beyond the one Piranesi has always known. Uh, this was published in 2020. It came out in September of 2020, I believe. Uh, it's a New York Times bestseller. Uh, Susanna Clark won the Women's Prize for Fiction for Piranesi. Uh, this won the Audi Award for Audiobook uh, that year. It is narrated by Chiwetel Ejiofor. It is beautiful. Um, it was a finalist for the World Fantasy Award, the Hugo and Nebula, and shortlisted for the uh, British Science Fiction Fantasy Awards and the Costa Book Awards. I'm Madeline, your host, and today I am joined by several lovely people. Who are you? I'm Lisa Eldred.
0: I'm Joey Thurmond.
2: I'm Bernadette Conley. And I'm Katie Tedjor.
1: Thank you all for being here, you wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, Lisa, you chose this book and nominated for us for, to read. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you picked it.
3: Yeah, um, so basically this book came on my radar in 2020 um shortly around the time like around the time that it came out um one of the people that i follow on twitter um so first i should say i knew that i would want to read it in general just based on some of the descriptions that i was seeing um one person in particular that i follow on twitter i should have looked up her exact quote um joy clarkson but she said something to the effect of like reading an interview with susanna clark um, who was describing the book, and she was Susanna's Clark's line was something to the effect of, "What if it's cosmic horror? Only instead of having deep horror it, at the heart of the universe, it's deep joy." Um, mm. and um, Joy Clarkson's line is like, as a Christian, that's literally what I believe, um, and so that really piqued my interest. Um. Got it for Christmas that year, read it in January. I think as soon as I got done, I was like, Madeline, we have to do this on the book club. <laughs> yeah. um, so So um, brought it up to a vote and it was one of the winners. So here we are.
1: Lovely, lovely. Thank you. Uh, if you haven't read Pyrenecy and you're joining us, uh, we are about to enter the spoiler zone. So uh, continue at your own risk. Um, there are some really lovely um, or, or sad, I guess, uh, but also lovely uh, surprises in this book. So um, we're about to spoil it. So uh, other than other than what we got in the in the intro for our blurb, there, um, Lisa, um, what, what is kind of the big the big secret um, that's that's revealed through the story here? That kind of puts into context everything else in in Piranesi's life and in, in the house.
3: Oh gosh, uh, that's one of those, <laughs> how do I, do, yeah, how do you answer that question? Um, basically, it turns out that, you know, he only has memories of this place, but he is actually a, a normal human from Earth who was um, investigating some, like, wacky stuff that a professor was doing in like the eighties and nineties, um, and wound up as part of his investigations being asked if, Hey, do you want to do this ritual to see what, you know, to see what it was all about and Mm -hmm. wound up being basically kidnapped, abduct, abducted to this place, um, where those professors were really just trying to use it for their own power. (laughs) Um, and, um, has like slowly over like the shoot, I I think seven or eight years that he wound up living in the house, um, just losing like losing memories of who he was, um and just falling in love with the house itself. Um, but eventually he realized like he discovers his old journal entries that he had completely forgotten. And realizes that oh wait the guy that I thought was my like best friend in the entire universe is is really my worst enemy, um, and yeah, is that an adequate summary? Yeah, perfect, perfect. <laughs> you spoiled it. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> all so right. Everyone's admitted to reading the backs of the books before you
1: finish <laughs> them? <laughs> the book for us. Yeah, Skip, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So the house. Uh, that Piranesi lives in is a fantastic place. Um, It is tons of, uh, you know, um, arcades, kind of, if you think about it, like in the the classical Roman term, arcade, where it's got like all the little sconces where the tons of different um, statues are with columns, um, halls, chambers, stairs, uh, all filled with all these different statues um it's it is otherworldly um in the sense that you feel like it's definitely a a made place um but it's also otherworldly in the fact that it could be making itself i get the feel (laughs) from the house
0: it kind of reminds me of um the popular internet uh interest in so-called liminal spaces Mm -hmm. where they feel like a places of transition like you're not supposed to be um settled or feel home like in liminal spaces like they're, they're meant to be traversed through and ironically like i got that vibe from like the way that the house is described because it feels like it's always leading somewhere, but never has, like, a destination. Um, and it's it's kind of creepy, but creepy in its beauty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: No, I like that unsettling in the sense that you're not supposed to be there long-term. is. Mm-hmm. But also a place that invites you to linger. Mm-hmm. Well,
4: I mean, even the... That whole "you're not supposed to stay long" thing is really doubled down on by the fact that you know both the prophet and the other don't actually stay longer. Like they don't stay. They say that the other doesn't stay mm-hmm. for longer than an hour, and the prophet only stayed for like a short, this short conversation. Um, because they both know that if they stay longer, they lose themselves, and so it. It It's not a place that you're supposed to stay long, mm-hmm. but uh Prennese is kind of forced to stay there. Mm-hmm. So it's like he never had a choice on whether he wanted to stay there or not.
1: Nacy definitely comes across to me like he he sees the house as a. A benevolent a friendly entity mm-hmm. um it says you know I'm the beloved child of the house um it it meets all my needs it it sends me rainwater and fish and seaweed uh and Piranesi is absolutely ruffling it because he doesn't in his acting memory at the beginning of the book this is this is just how life is when you live in the house um however um the other and the prophet see the house as uh, a means to an end. Um, I mentioned a great and secret knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never. It, I never got the feeling though that that was something that actually could be obtained through the yeah.
3: house, mm-hmm.
1: or at least definitely not through um, the like the the rituals and the stuff mm-hmm. that they were trying to conduct.
3: Well, and I, well, th- uh- the prophet even says so, like. Mm -hmm. Um, the prophet being Lawrence Arnest Sales, um, who was basically the person, the university professor who figured out how to get to the house in the first place. Um, you know, he set up, like, he got a bunch of colleagues, basically, followers, disciples, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them, um, to come down. But, like, he came back, you know, he came back to visit after, like, a good, like, 15 years away from the house. Um just as he a was kind of prison. curiosity thing yeah. <laughs> yeah he was in prison for basically abducting someone else and making them live in the house um someone who did not manage to live in the house nearly as successful as piranesi did um but the um yeah no he's like you know he even tells him yeah it's rubbish the secret knowledge doesn't exist it's basically like you know asking like where an individual drop of water, and like when in that formed a river or something like that, mm-hmm. or I can't remember the exact metaphor. Maybe someone can refresh my mind. Well, the
4: the yeah. idea is that mm-hmm. it did it did exist, but it was mm-hmm. like it can't be obtained anymore because it permeated. Like it essentially, the great and mm-hmm. secret knowledge was the thing that built the house, and so it's like, like it that. can't it can't mm-hmm. be extracted anymore. Like it, it can mm-hmm. only be. Almost observed, like you can't obtain it anymore. But once upon a time, it did exist. But once it, like, migrated to this other world, it's not something that humans could ad-
2: obtain anymore, was kind of the vibe I got from that conversation. Actually, that's the moment that actually kind of got to me because up to that point, I was reading the book and I was desperately trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, what's going on here? What's, you know, <laughs> there's got to be a tracker. There's you no, know, and I'm like, shoot, you know, I should have gotten my graph paper and tried to figure out exactly, you know, <gasps> the <laughs> statue and what is this meaning and you know, and and like where are they and and stuff. And then I got to that point about, you know, there is no great secret. I'm like, what am I doing? This this beautiful Aww. prose. And I'm missing the beauty of this place and the mm-hmm. beauty of this book. I'm like, you know, there's this, you know, this trick i've just been tricked by this author to realize suddenly (laughs) you know that in this place i'm the other and i should have been Nisi, you know enjoying the beauty and the flow so just like the the writing is is written to slow you down Mm -hmm. you know the the numbers are written out it takes longer to read numbers that are written out instead of in numeric form and the years are long and <laughs> it's everything is written to slow you down and um, and so then i from that point on i was able to kind of see this as as really kind of relaxing even though it's it's you know a that story with gaslighting it's it's really the most, like, relaxing story of a kidnapping I have ever read.
1: <laughs> Five stars. Most relaxing story of a kidnapping.
4: <laughs> well, and it's it, it is kind of weird because, like, you get the feeling that, kind of like that Stockholm Syndrome feeling from Matthew where it's like he's fallen in love th- with this place that is literally his prison, mm-hmm. like he has accepted this and he's just, he's forgotten his entire other life and just wants to be here, which I mean, in therapy, like ways, you know, that that would be a major point of working on. Like, mm-hmm. um but at the same time, like you get the feeling that it it's not the house's fault. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. it imprisoned him. It's just happens to be the place where he was put. And, mm-hmm. It's like one of those things where he does, he he almost has gotten that great and secret knowledge because he's the only one who's actually stopped and enjoyed and pays attention to the statues and explores further into it. Like he's the only one who's been able to see some of the beauty that it has to offer, Um, which is kind of like the, all the, like the other and the prophet kind of just, they're more of a means to an end kind of person whereas pernasie is like the journey which yeah, is, is like slowing down and taking it in and enjoying it and recording the mundane like with the i mean even at, like naming a year after the fact that two albatrosses came and had a chick <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> year the albatross came to
1: the northern house you
4: know oh. so like it's on something that was most people would think it's like okay so what but it was like a beautiful moment and so he's like this is significant it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. and so it's it's kind of like an interesting weird feeling when you're reading reading it and being like you really shouldn't be in love with this place that's your prison but at the same time i can Mm -hmm. see why you're in love with the place that's your prison Mm -hmm. uh yeah
1: yeah I would argue that, uh, like like Katie said, if anything is the the great and secret knowledge, it's uh, what made the house, but it's also like the house has some connections to our world besides just the fact that you can get there and back. Mm-hmm. Um, in It's the very end of the book. Uh, Piranesi is walking through a park and he sees a couple people that he recognizes from statues in the house. Now, whether they are like, represented by you know archetypical um statues but he feels like no it's not just like that they're recognizing archetypes uh he's like this is this person that's in this that's in the house as well um and I reread it um for for us to talk about it and when I got to the part where it's talking about you know the old man who's who's broken down and sad and Pyrenees he's like I want to run up to him and tell him like you're a king in another world, like you have, you're wise and powerful and um, people look up to you and listen to you. And I was, I'm tearing up right now. Like I was bawling (laughs) listening to this because like, particularly after, I know we're still, we're still pandemic times. Mm -hmm. We're in horrible, like world geopolitical times. Um, We're in terrible economic times. Everything is bad. And so, just like the promise that there is there's more, yeah is like, I really needed to hear that going through this book. Okay, somebody else take over.
0: <laughs> I think that's one of my favorite uh, messages of the book, and it's that the great and secret knowledge is like in the world around us. I think that's what's getting at, and like it's in the people around mm-hmm. us like um the seemingly um you know average joe or the mundane uh all of like nature and people are like magnificent and beautiful and it's like um it's a really good point that which funny is like lawrence himself makes like in his like a They give like an excerpt from uh, one of his books, uh, like somewhere in the middle of the narrative. And he talks about how the world has become, people have become disenchanted with Mm -hmm. the great and secret knowledge. And he views it as this power, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. this like thing to be harnessed as a tool for uh, domination and control. But that never was the point of the great and secret knowledge. It's that like it's it's meant to be this thing that's uh you know of mutual benefit to everyone like you um you share in it for the sake of it. uh I feel like I could go on or uh, something, but like it's uh it, it's it's a really profound message um well, I, I agree mean, with that Madeline. Is-
4: one of the interesting points is that, like, at, when he was first discovering the ritual was that he discovered he, you needed to go back to a point before you became in disenchanted with the world. When you mm. still had that wonder, when you still had that, uh, just everything could become something idea, like, before you became jaded, um, to get mm. to this world, to these halls. So you actually Mm -hmm. had to become childlike and believing to actually enter into the halls to start off with, and you had to have that mindset. Which uh, and he makes a point that Ketterly never could get there without the ritual. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like you can see it in Ketterly's person; like he's not someone. Yeah, he is not someone that can get to that place. He's just too, so, he's so far entrenched in, oh, we need this for power, oh, we need this for me. Like, he, mm-hmm. he can't see the wonder anymore. But what's also interesting is, like, they, so they, refer, he reference uh, parenthesis, like, references uh, 13 other people, which are bones. Um, but one of them is a child who Mm -hmm. is curled up behind a statue. And you, you almost wonder like, so you kind of assume that like the majority of the skeletons are probably people that either Lawrence or Ketterly shoved in there themselves to kind Mm -hmm. of like this. That's just kind of, you kind of get the implication, but you almost wonder, did they do that to the child or did the child just wander on there by into there by accident? Yeah, you know, does she find her way.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, because you don't, you don't actually, you don't know any of their stories really. And like, if it's a child like wonder, you need to get into this world. Like, you almost wonder if this child stumbled there by accident, which is horrible. But at the same time, like, I don't know. It, like, I, I just found found myself wondering if like. Well, it's, it is really awful because the kid wouldn't have had someone to take care of them like uh, Matthew did. Because even though he's in prison, mm-hmm. really still technically took care of him. And I'm sure he had, like, vi- multivitamins. Like, they referenced the multivitamins mul- <laughs> multiple times. It would be like, no, he was getting nutrients. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, took care of. Mm-hmm. Although he probably is.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
4: I mean as well cuz you think if like he was purely living off of like seafood and seaweed he would have had a nutritional de- deficient and would have died er- very quickly <laughs> like mm-hmm. or at least wasted away so the fact that you know he was being supplied multivitamins <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I thought it was a very interesting <laughs> but appropriate point mm-hmm. for that one but um anyway yeah so with the kid like one it was one of those was just that, just like a horrible accident, or was that, or did they actually put a kid in there?
3: You know. Yeah. I, yeah. Said, I felt like there was. I didn't think it was the kid behind the statue. Um, well, so we know the we eventually find out the identities of three people. I think, um, which were basically three former associates of them. Um, I think well, they, one of the. Yeah. Three people and the monkey. Because um, there's also a pet monkey that managed to be That's in right. there. Um, I thought I had the implication that um, the child-sized figure... I thought I... This might just be me in my head trying to make things, this better. But um, the, there was one woman who was part of their group who really got gaslighted by Lawrence Sarna And really, like... The one who... He, mm-hmm.
1: he, he made her, like... Yeah, Never gosh, talked to her like, parents again. Yeah, and,
3: yeah, yeah. Um, and so, I thought like maybe that was me reading into it. I thought there was something about like yeah, she was very small or something like that. Um, it, and that I remember. Been okay. There was but, also because they talk about thirteen people or 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 like mm-hmm. no, the hollow. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's like nine people in a single room that all died, and so it was kind of one yep. of those like, you know.
1: People of the alcove, the concealed person, <laughs> yes. the biscuit box yeah. man, the child.
2: Yeah. I was gonna say yeah. earlier um mm-hmm.
0: that um we can kinda relate to uh the others frustration, like in reading the journals themselves, like how they can slow <laughs> us down with all the terminology. Because mm-hmm. at one point he's like, All these like names and stuff that you come up with, <laughs> my goodness. And I was like, I get it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: yeah. To, like, I think Bernie mentioned about, like, oh, well, she's intentionally slowing down the writing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like, John Campo Verde couldn't be here today, but um, I know that in his comments on here, he was taught, like, he initially started out with, man, I just don't know if I can do this narration style. And then, like, the next update I saw from him was actually, I think, Madeline liking his five-star review of Pyrenees. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just one of those. Yeah, just mm-hmm. wanted to call that out. Um, of Um, Yeah, oh. just I, the slow style is frustrating, especially for us who are so used to, you know, using our shining tablets and, you know, having the instant <laughs> whatever. hmm.
4: Well, I mean, part of it is like at the very beginning, he's capitalizing words that you're like, "Why? Why are you capitalizing those words? Those oh are gosh. not." I,
0: I mentioned this in one of the <laughs> yes. channels because I I kept like mm-hmm. uh, Clark was very intentional with a lot of stuff that she did with uh, the 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 days of the entries, yes. um, mm-hmm. like what was missing. Uh, The way Mm -hmm. that uh, Piranesi writes, and I could not for the life of me, like, figure out Piranesi's, like, (laughs) his reasoning for, like, capitalizing some things and not capitalizing others, Um, but it was, um, I, I felt like it lended some quirkiness to um, yeah. like his writing and it was enjoyable
3: yeah mm-hmm. i think i just read it as him basically bolding or italicizing with handwriting um someone else made the mm-hmm. comment of Edward. oh it's kind of like you know it's probably for his the sake of his index
0: oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. what i think i, I think mm-hmm. it was for his index hmm
1: mm-hmm. it might yeah be multiple, but uh but, jo- Joey said in the in in our uh notes that Piernecci has a scientific mind but a romantic heart. Um, that That's a
4: quote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that he is always like romantic in the in the sense that like the way that he will kind of go on and on about something small or um, make things out to where kind of in that like childlike mindset where things come together in a little bit of magical thinking to form a story mm-hmm. um, versus just like wrote observation but at the same time he is extremely meticulous in his observation mm-hmm. and in his note taking so much the fact that he has an index for all of his journals mm-hmm. uh, that he that he keeps with okay. him
4: well, if uh, you think, or sorry go ahead well if you think about it it actually like it's very much a holdover from because he was an i don't know I wasn't entirely sure if he was an academic or a journalist or a little bit of both um, but that kind of vocation, it it lends itself to that. Like, you have to be absolutely meticulous with your note-taking, but you do have to weave a story, or else nobody's going to read it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I, I mean, he, he almost, he kept the essence of himself in what he did. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it mm-hmm. just was, like, distilled down into its purest form, almost. Like, he may have thought of himself as a man of science, but, like, it was re- it's really the storytelling writing aspect that he was tapping into with his meticulousness. Like it was that note taking, making sure he got everything right. So he can, mm-hmm. so the story makes sense. And like, even the observations of the other's clothes, like he always makes a note of what, the other was, is wearing, yes. like, that. <laughs> that's something that you would do if you're, like, paying attention for a book or an article or something like that, like, that is, those, those little details are what you pay attention to, because that is what connects with people, and that's what, what draws people in and, like, increases the humanness of it. So, like, it's absolutely not necessary for, like, a scientific observation but it's absolutely necessary if you're wanting to write an article for a publication or a book or anything like that. So
2: Tell a story. Um, yeah. yeah.
4: And honestly, like with his mental state, it almost feels like he went from almost like, it almost feels like he, he went down to a pure, more childlike version. Like, you know, they keep saying the house wears away your memories and stuff. And it does, but like, it does it to where you're you don't have those kind of aspects of ambition and like trying to strive for greatness. You're just content. Like mm-hmm. he seems he's like one of the most content characters I think I've ever met. I am ever. the <laughs> beloved child yeah.
3: of the house. Yeah. <laughs> Although yeah. I do wonder how much of that is like his original character anyway um i know when he finally reads his original journals where he realizes how he got into the house in the first place um there was one point where he you know he's talking to valentine ketterly who winds up being his kidnapper about lawrence arna sales and he he, there was some point where he gave arna sales the benefit of the doubt Um, even as he's writing this book where he's like, oh yeah, I'm totally going to denounce him in this book. Um, I wish I had looked up the exact quote. Um, It just reminds me. So I remember going to a great aunt's funeral about a decade ago. um, And I didn't know this great aunt well. Um, I had visited her her a couple of times. It was local and my parents were coming for it. Um, But she like, I was just sitting there and everyone was like, yeah, she had Alzheimer's. But like every time that someone would just come in, she would be like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so glad you came to visit. Now, who are you? Mm-hmm. Like every single time. And it was just like this stripped down. And that is what I do remember about aunt, like great aunt Irene is just how much like joy just shone through her, even in her Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And just how... like. When everything else was stripped away, like all that, basically what was left was that natural like joy and optimism. And I feel like a similar thing happens to um, Matthew in this.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's what I was saying because like yeah. he, like his ambition would be the book that he mm-hmm. was writing originally. And so mm-hmm. with that stripped away, he could just kind of observe and enjoy his observations. Like mm-hmm. that was like it took away the need for him to make
3: something of himself. Right, like, I guess I'm, yeah, I guess I'm just kind of the, I don't know that, like, you can look at ambition from the, like, you know, Ketterly sort of perspective of, no, he's I here it, to get web out of the house, versus mm-hmm. the ambition of, I want to write a book sort of thing, yeah, not necessarily for self-gain. It, but.
4: Definitely different ambition than Ketterly's, but mm-hmm. um, it's still... I mean, if you re- like remember his list of pros and cons, like that mm-hmm. was definitely a list of will this book actually work? Like it was not mm-hmm. a book of I'm just going to write this book because this is what I love and this is what I want to mm-hmm. do. It was a book of I'm interested, but is this going to be something that makes something of itself? Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by like ambition. Like it, not fair. all ambition is negative and i I, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't have said that's that's it's not a bad ambition at all like it was not a bad goal it was not anything like that it just um i guess it took away all the outside pressure of that like it took away the need for it to become something Mm -hmm. like his records became something for themselves instead of Mm -hmm. He didn't have Mm -hmm. to, like, analyze, oh, is this journal intrigue? Like, is this relevant? Like, he just wrote what he observed and wrote what he loved and wrote what was interesting to him. He didn't have to consider, oh, is this going to do well? Like, are people going to accept it? Is it going to be, like, are people going to read it? Like, it took all that need, that way of thinking for away.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. So, and that's kind of what I mean. Like, it was, like... It was a dread for Ketterly and the and Lawrence because if you took all that away from them, they'd be very empty people. Like if you took stripped all of that ambition and all that all that away from them, there would probably be not much left because those mm-hmm. were that they let that like shape and twist them. Whereas Matthews. Matthew's way of approaching the world, even though he had ambition, he didn't let it consume him, I would Mm say. And so he was able to thrive in the world because after that ambition and, like, power-seeking—not power-seeking, but, yeah, kind of ambition—was stripped away, he still had a lot left. He still had, like, his love of observing things, his love Mm -hmm. of— Explore exploration and mm-hmm. mapping things out, like he was mm-hmm. still able to function. Whereas, if you if Lawrence got caught in there or Lee got ca- caught in there, they wouldn't last very long, like because mm-hmm. they just they would really go mad, like
0: mm-hmm.
4: absolute mm-hmm. madness because there would be nothing left.
0: I think uh, it's um mm-hmm. largely because uh Piranesi is he sees himself like as a this is what I got from it, like a part of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: just like, and because of that, someone, there's so many like biblical, (laughs) like concepts and imagery in this book, but like as a steward of the house, like I'm Mm -hmm. taking care of this place. Like I'm, I'm meant to respect it as a part of it. I'm a child of the house Mm -hmm. as he says. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you're saying, like people like Ketterly, uh, and Lawrence, um, I'd say more so Ketterly Um, they just don't care to relate to or give anything of themselves yeah. to the mm-hmm. world or the people around them. And that's yep. why they're left uh hollow in the end. Because yep. like they mm-hmm. don't give of themselves. Um and it kind of just shows how like a sacrificial life like is a way th- is the way to be, uh, the most whole. Um, and like, it's like so, so many, so many beautiful like messages, like, uh, mm-hmm. in how mm-hmm. Piranesi lives in his, um, altruism, his, uh, good faith toward people. Uh, it's just so inspiring. Um, like the whole way through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was gonna the say. Way, I mean, the, the way he's. Oh, I'm sorry.
2: I was gonna say. Um, I mean, the way that he's he's writing and and documenting because he wants to share sort of the the mm-hmm. beauty of of the house, and I mean, it's part of the the indexing, so um, so that you know he could be able to you know describe the the beauty of this world and and be able to to share it. I mean, that's kind of what what books are are about, and you know this you know, book brings up you know the sort of that the value of of journaling um as well, which I I keep, you know, promising I'm gonna practice and every five <laughs> years I, I do it for like three months. Um, you know, and uh, you know, so I'm gonna try to start it again. Um we'll we'll see. Um, but you know, just just that the value of, of of writing and and sharing knowledge and and like I said having that observation and, and just you know the the value of, of type, keeping a journal and and documenting. Like I said you know what what you love and and sharing information with each other rather than seeking information just for your own use and trying to keep something secret and private.
0: You yeah, um, for like um, competition, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, Piranesi never like did anything to get the one up on anyone Mm um yeah and I really like um the fact like we were talking about like writing earlier like the the reasons for like uh his writing and like Mm -hmm. how he did it for the joy of it like in Mm -hmm. itself and just merely what he wanted to share that wasn't affected by um like other people or reputation uh Mm -hmm wealth because when you do focus on the 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 sheer joy of the writing itself and what you simply want to express that's almost always where like some of the best writing and most innovative writing Mm -hmm. or just creations in general come from like the just going for it like regardless Mm -hmm. of what people think
1: want to mention a couple of things real quick that I really love about Piranesi while we're saying all these nice things about him. Um, Piranesi has an incredible self-care game um, in in this book and it's really like and you're like well obviously because he's the only one in the house and he has to take care of himself or he will not live anymore. He doesn't really have anything else to do in the house but at the same time like even as he's going through all of his uh, mental breakdown as he, he realizes, okay, I'm, I haven't always lived in the house. Uh, I'm from somewhere else. The other is not my friend. Uh, and he's my kidnapper. He's, he's going through all of this. And once he kind of like gets, gets through the initial angst of that, um, he, in his next entry, he writes, you know, I, I, I bathed. I washed my face. I, I cleaned my, my alcove. I, um, you know, I made soup so that I could eat. I fed myself. I slept. Um, he's, he said, you know, uh, Matthew Rose Sorensen, which is his name in our world, um, is inside me, uh, and I'm taking care of him and he's sleeping now. Uh, so his, his self-care, uh, is present even though he's still disassociating from from his identity. When he was in our world, he's very conscious of I have to I have to take care of myself.
4: Just uh, uh, on that as well, like you were saying that so, like some people would think, oh well, he's the only person there. Of course, he has to take care of himself. But as someone who has struggled with <laughs> depression and all of that, like you, you don't. Like Mm -hmm. there have been days where I have been the only one in the house and I won't eat because Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't make myself eat. And like it, it's not like you, it it takes a really strong person and like real intention to take care of yourself and Mm -hmm. do that self-care stuff because it's it's not always easy to even just eat, and let alone like mm-hmm. bathe and mm-hmm. do all clean and all that other stuff. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
4: so it, it it was yeah. I noticed that whole self care. I thought that was very cool as
1: well. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that goes back to kind of his uh, respect for personhood
0: to yeah. some <laughs> extent as well.
1: <laughs> um, that he like I am all people are deserving of care and I'm mm-hmm. a person and I am deserving of care as well. So, um, self-love in the, in the way you want to see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, yeah I, I need that reminder too, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we see that also in his approach to, you know, the biscuit box man and the people of the mm-hmm. alcove and the concealed person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually to, to the body of, Uh, valentine catterly as well um Mm -hmm. he is extremely uh respectful for uh for all of the dead uh that are in his halls as he says uh he goes and talks to them he brings them offering of i think he says he brings like water and flowers um and tries as best he can to see them as to see them as people and think about who who they were um but at the same time when uh, Raphael, who we really haven't talked about yet, yeah. <laughs> uh, Raphael is the is the yeah. the policewoman who comes and and finally rescues Piranesi, um, and he he's giving her a grand tour of of the house, and uh, she sees he shows her all of his dead, right? Um, and she's like, "Oh, this is awful." And he's like, "Well, don't you go visit your dead and give them offerings and all this stuff."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but she, she's thinking about them and says, uh, "These are these are people who were murdered, who are here, and and that really bothers Piranesi because it takes away, like their their personhood, kind hmm. of, and turns them into uh, victims of their you know the way that they were killed, and kind of erases anything else that was hmm. ever present about them." Um, and he says, "I think this is maybe what Raphael means when." She doesn't want to be uh, around other people. That makes her sad sometimes because they change the way that you feel about about things just by having uh, different different opinions.
0: That line really uh, stuck out to me too. I mentioned it in one of the channels because it confused me. At first, I'm like, what does like, what happened to them have to do with like denigrating their like who like who they were themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. I had to I had to sit on that for a bit. And mm-hmm. it's it's like how you said um how we can let uh circumstances that happened to and around someone uh define like our memories of them and mm-hmm. their legacy. Uh and I think that that, that that's what like Piernessy meant like mm-hmm. by saying like you're Like you're focusing on the wrong thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) about about these people. Like let let's talk about like you know how wonderful they they were and how each person is deserving of respect long after they're gone. And and that also brings to mind like you know um, preserving history uh, memory um, Mm -hmm. by having these rituals where we reflect on the the meaning and importance of like you know people who have passed away and like what kind of positive impacts that they had on other people and the world around them um, like it's just a totally different frame of mind to um, to kind of look at someone in their passing uh, that prompts more joy like rather than grief. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, like, it's, it's a beautiful way to, like, honor, like, who they were. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Lisa, would you like to tell us about some of the names in this book and what they meant to you?
3: Yeah, um, so we've got a couple, you know, I could... were more of an art historian or like philosopher i suspect that basically every single name has a lot of deep embedded meaning um but we've got a few in particular that were worth highlighting um Caranesi was an italian architect archaeologist artist um who i think it was that he had a dream or wound up getting ill or something like that and basically after this whatever this was, like he wound up creating these very like almost Escheresque like mm-hmm. prison designs. Um so, you know, um Ketterly is the one who gave Piranesi that name, um and so that's kinda like basically well, it's a name associated with labyrinths, um, and kind of so you've got that sort of artistic thing there going on. hederly himself... No, I'll come back to him. Um, the policewoman, um, who's almost more of a catalyst than a character um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, which is probably why we only brought her up towards the end. Um, <laughs> she... Um, because he, he only meets her at the end of the book himself. Um, her name is Sarah Raphaela, and so, you know, like... Should have looked up some of his artwork. I feel like that's my trend for everything that I say of is as I'm talking about it. Oh, I should have looked that up earlier. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you've got this podcasting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Raphael is either a reference to a ninja turtle, which is definitely what that is, or you know, a <laughs> renaissance artist. Um, so um, you know, and you've got her, like she's another character who manages to Get in via, I believe, via that childlike sense of wonder, mm-hmm. um, and actually like appreciates the art that's going on and the beauty of the house. Um, but probably the most interesting character to talk about and the one that I'm most equipped to talk about is Valentine Ketterly. Um, I, you know, when Madeline was asking for descriptions of this book, you know, the one that came to mind was, well, this is kind of like a book that's set in the Wood Between the Worlds from Magician's nephew, which is also the source of the name Ketterly. Um like Uncle Andrew is the one who makes the rings. He's the one who is performing the experiments but does not want to risk anything himself, which is exactly what you get out of Ketterly or mm-hmm. the other. Mm-hmm. Um and on this read through I even noticed like oh hey, one of the opening poll quotes um <laughs> the, i am the great scholar the magician the adept who is doing the experiment of course i need subjects to do it on um which is from the magician's nephew um mm-hmm. basically right mm-hmm. after ketterly signs um polly into the woods between the worlds so um yeah it's just one of those like it, some of the intentionality i don't know if anyone else has any insights beyond hey look i wanted to point this out. Um, <laughs> But kind of the you get the exact like Uncle Diggory gets not necessarily redemption, but you know, it gets revealed as the great fool in um Magician's nephew. And you get to a certain extent like just his obsession with power and trying to use the house for mm-hmm. his own gain and you know every single time he's like well let's try this experiment and I'm going to try and do this formula and you know use this particular ancient name or whatever um, yeah And you know,
1: find something a place of power yeah
3: ultimately his end is much more tragic than um Uncle Diggory's in Magician's nephew, um Uncle but Andrews. It, or Uncle mm-hmm. Andrews, sorry. <laughs> Diggory would be the character. Um, <laughs> you yeah. know, uncle, yeah, mm-hmm. at the end his you know, his end is much worse, um but it's still very much the uh, like ultimately he you know, he thinks he's wise and he winds up being the fool.
1: So uh, Lisa was saying, you know, I asked her, basically, how do you describe this? Because I wanted to pitch this book in in the community to get other people to read it. I didn't want to spoil it. And it's very difficult to talk about without spoiling. It's also kind of difficult to fit into genres. Um, I I would definitely put it in the fantasy realm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've I've heard people talk about this as um, there's a reading of it uh, that says that, you know, Pure never actually went anywhere. Um, all of the house and everything is is a mental break um, that he experienced, and this is uh, kind of the way that he got functional at least, or recovered somewhat from his trauma, so that he could go back and participate in real life again. Um, and I definitely see that as a reading of this book, and it's and it's valid because art means something different to everybody and i think it should be that way um but i i cannot accept that reading for myself i don't think um because because of of the it is much more hopeful to read as um piranesi went somewhere incredible that few people get to go mm-hmm that gives us more information about our world than it does about the place it is. Um, And so that, that would put this kind of as a, as a portal fantasy Mm -hmm. um, where, where, you know, the, the main character goes to another place, has adventures, quote unquote, and then returns changed back to our world. Lisa, you said that uh, Susanna Clark described it as cosmic horror, but hope.
3: Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I believe that's the quote. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, kind of the concept of, like... That's probably one of the other reasons I was drawn to it is because I have a not-so-secret love of Lovecraft. <laughs> um, but... um The... Yeah. Just kind of the thought of there is some sort of ultimate mystery, something that is... Something that has created this house in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's creating this thing of beauty and mystery not you know not something that's going to devour your soul in the end
4: kind of like a benevolent ra- rather than a malevolent which typically <laughs> the <force laughs> in cosmic horror is malevolent <laughs> so yeah. it's almost like yeah switching, just switching the one word and then it's like it does it does have a lot of the same elements of a cosmic horror like mm-hmm. the pieces are there and it li- mm-hmm. like that quote is right as far like it really is a good way of describing it. It just flips it from being, like, horrifying to more, like, joyful and beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. like, was going to say, it's, it's too, I was like, horror. I mean, I don't really... Well, and that's it, the thing, is, like, it's like, it has the little bits of, um, the, like, certain beats and certain, like, elements that are typically... The, inc- the suspense. Yeah. That are typically typically included in cosmic horror Mm -hmm. but the whole like those beats hit different because Mm -hmm. there's no malevolence in the actual world yeah and it's just interesting because i'm i mean if anybody's been listening to these podcasts for a while they know i'm the horror person so (laughs) (laughs) Um, like i've read a lot of cosmic horror and so it's interesting Mm -hmm. to read something that has that is so similar and so different at the same time. Like mm-hmm. it, it it's hitting like the same beats that I'm used to, but at the same time it's not hitting the same note. I guess mm-hmm. is a good way of saying yeah. Like, okay. yeah. Well yeah right.
3: so right before this reread, <laughs> I reread the book House of Leaves, which um we might talk about in a little bit anyway, but um just kind of which is definitely like house horror, cosmic horror sort of thing yeah. of um and the first time that i read pyrenees in particular i was just struck with how much it's like the happy inversion thereof. like instead yeah. of sinking down into this abyss you are almost brought into this like mansion you mm-hmm. know what's the you know in my father's house there are many rooms and it's almost like it's like kind of waiting for the inhabitants to come or whatever so
1: yeah uh, i talked to uh, one of the guys in my game group just finished nacy and I wanted to know his thoughts. And I think his thoughts are similar to a lot of other people that maybe don't come to this with the same, uh, there is hope at the center of the universe somewhere uh, approach uh, that you read it. And you, if you're familiar with kind of the, the horror beats, you're like, okay, uh, unreliable narrator. And mm-hmm. he's not, who he thinks he is and there's definitely Mm -hmm. bad stuff going on in the background.
4: You're waiting for the pin to drop. Yeah. You're waiting
1: for, for something awful. You're waiting for uh, Valentine Ketterly to assume the, the great and secret knowledge and become like the big, bad, evil guy. Uh, And when it goes opposite of that direction, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people that, that maybe this book hits different for are, are saying like, you know, it was Okay. It wasn't what I was what I was thinking it was gonna be. Um I'm really glad it's the way it is for me personally, honestly, because it's it is so much more fulfilling um and yeah. refreshing to read the way it is. Well yeah. and,
4: and that's the thing is like I I can see why they would think that, but like it's one of those ones where you can't approach it like it's a horror. Like even mm-hmm. if you start reading it and being like, Hey, this is this is really familiar. You gotta be like, let's just just take a moment. I don't think this is a horror book because <laughs> nobody's saying it's a horror book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's step back a moment. Even though these are super familiar, maybe let's
2: see what happens. <laughs> see, and that's what I I went into, and I was reading. Okay, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not even that. sure what paranisa is because it doesn't have like that usual description of, um, you know that expository. You know, I've looked at my. Self in the mirror and, you know, and my, my gray eyes are, are, you know, tired. And, you know, as, as I, as I, you know, hold my, you know, you know, long brown hair and, you know, grab to, you know, my green dress that makes my curves look, you know, really good, you know, and so they always, you know, they always have that, you especially with the girls, you know, it's like, you know, on my, you know, 5'7 seven or five eleven—a frame that you know I've always made me look gangly in high school, and you know, and, and you know, it's always that same you know description. But there's, there's no self description of Aranese, and I was thinking, so wait—is this going to turn out to be like a Gorgon? <laughs> you know, is this you know is that why there's statues? Are these statues? Does he not you know just first not remember being like a Medusa figure that you know? um, the other is, is immune <laughs> to, you know, I'm like, you know, is it, you know, I'm, I'm like, so, I mean, is that what the unreliable narrator is? I'm really like, where, where's the catch? I mean, that's like how I like started this. I'm like, okay, what, what, what is, what is, you know, that his secret, you know, I'm like, well, because there's no self, you know, description for sure. I like, and that's kind of where I was like missing the beauty at the beginning. I'm like, okay, where's the catch? Where's the catch? Okay. I've got to find it, you know?
4: Well, I guess I guess for a lot of horror, bo- and maybe the, like again, it's a it's a genre thing. Like, a lot of them don't describe. Like, if it's first person, they don't describe themselves. Like, you'll only get bits and pieces. Like, um, so one one book that just came out that um, like epitome of unreliable narrator because there's multiple narrators, and you're like, okay, so who who has the best information? But half the time you don't you don't have descriptions of the characters like because they don't they don't describe themselves like because if you think about it like in everyday life most people wouldn't describe themselves mm-hmm. and I find a lot of horror tends to go the more realistic route when it comes to first person thinking like mm-hmm. and that's what makes it that's almost what makes it get into your head more is because mm-hmm. it it doesn't give you this description so you're left with either piecing it together bit by bit or just almost inserting yourself in there because you're like all you have are the thoughts all you mm-hmm. have are the outside descriptions which which makes it that like vice of terror almost worse because you're like the, like i can see all these things and this person <laughs> is not is not an other. Like, it's not another Mm -hmm. person because I'm inserting myself into their thoughts. So I think that's why, like, again, with Paranasi, like, they, like, like Madeline was saying, for those who approach it from, like, a horror reader's side, it, like, you do expect it for the pen to drop because that that's, like, one of the one of the things you do, you go in, and if it's an unreliable narrator, you're you're watching for that big bad, like you're watching for that betrayal, you're watching for that like, oh, <laughs> this just got yeah. real, and things are going yeah. south like, real fast, like. Yeah. <laughs> but you rarely, like some sometimes you just never get a like a solid view of who, like what the you'll get who the character is, but you'll never get what they look like, mm-hmm. like or not like a solid solid look of who they what they look like because it's not important like it's the thoughts mm-hmm. that are important it's the personality mm-hmm. interactions the what's going on outside their looks don't really play into it at all for Sounds a lot like of it job,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> yeah. job.
3: Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. You don't really
0: know what any of them look like, but it's all yeah. about their mm-hmm. they're defined yeah. by their arguments and ideas.
3: Um, mm-hmm. In b- book terms, I'm just thinking about when Sarah Raphael is talking to him and is like, You're Matthew Sorensen, Whether you like it or not, Matthew <laughs> Rose Sorensen has <laughs> parents and like siblings mm-hmm. and, and friends who miss him and want to see him again. You know, like you have to. You know, the fact that he's lost even that much consciousness of. I did find it amusing. Like at some point, like halfway through the book, like read through reading the journal entries, you realize that like, you know, set in Britain, um, but he's half black. I forget. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's like g Ga- Like his mother is from Ghana or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
4: So, cause you, you yeah, that, that's weird. Cause you're almost like, is, is he Matthew mm-hmm. Cause the entry <laughs> that he writes is so mm-hmm. biographical. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like he's talking about himself at all. It mm-hmm. sounds like he's talking about a different person.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause he's separated from him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. And he, yeah. Even at the end talking about, you know, having Matt, taking Matt worse, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Matt to see his, Matt's parents. So. Right. He hasn't fully integrated back,
4: which mm-hmm. is actually a trauma coping mm-hmm. mechanism, separating, yeah. separating yourself from it.
1: So yep. yeah, absolutely. Thank you all so much uh, for sharing all your thoughts. Any last questions or reflections on the book before we make some recommendations?
0: Um, I thought the just real quick, like with mm-hmm. Raphael, um, I thought like the way. That she handled uh, Piranesi upon meeting him was a phenomenal example of how to approach people who um, have serious trauma or like a mental illness because, like, she doesn't like push with him on anything. (laughs) She sits there and listens, tries to understand, like, his framework for how he works through things like why he's feeling the way he's feeling and she gives him the space and time to um reflect on you know what she's asking of him and it was was so beautiful like to see how she approached him because you know you have people like uh the other and lawrence who kind of dismiss everything he's saying like they don't uh, care to understand like his way of thinking and how he uh, understands uh, the world um, but she sits there and like steeps in that yes. and like she, she's a, she's like a, a picture of empathy and it was like it, it was just so cool to read that and how um, Clark wrote her uh, as a character
3: before we close i just wanted to wrap back to something that we talked about way earlier in the podcast um and we were talking about basically how the house changed when he went back to the world um the world that we know and you know he's walking down the street and he's recognizing people from the house and the beauty of the house um It just reminded me of a quote from Thomas Merton, and I'll just read that to close the discussion portion, if that's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, Thomas Merton being a Trappist monk from Kentucky, um, quote taken from Goodreads, from Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. um, I have the immense joy of being man, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate, as if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me. Now that I realize we all are, and if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained, there is no way of telling people that they are all walking around, shining like the sun. Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach, the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eye. If only they could all see themselves as they really are.
1: So really really beautiful thank you um all right uh now we'll make some recommendations if you liked this book um it is like i said it's kind of difficult to fit into a, a genre so there's not really good one-to-one comparisons for this um Susanna clark has also written jonathan strange and mr Norrell, um which is a book about magic in kind of the napoleonic era in britain Magic being like officially recognized by the state and the empire and used in all different kinds of things uh for um empire making um, but as well as the nuance of kind of like academics fighting with each other uh is kind is of the best way I see the the relationship between strange and Norel. Um, and then the ladies of grace, ado and other stories, uh, I haven't read. That's also set in the same world as, uh, strange and Norel.
3: Yeah. Um, I mentioned house of leaves. Um, it, I will give content warnings of, it does have a lot of foul language and graphic sex. Um, it's very much this weird, like multi-layered thing. Um, definitely horror. (laughs) Um, But also like kind of the story at three different levels of people working through their traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wanted to read it and pair it through, I reread House of Leaves right before rereading Piranesi, and I would probably do it that way again of like House of Leaves does and on an oddly optimistic note um, for what it is. Um, but I would probably read the one that's much darker in tone and then enter into the light. so. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, genre philosophy, um, we like C.S. Lewis, if you get into some, you know, he was a medievalist. And so he has a lot of more philosophical literature, um, till we have faces is probably the one that's the most philosophical and also the most readable of those. Mm -hmm. Um, it's also, I think the novel that he was proudest of, um, And then there's a lesser known inkling. um, So, you know, shared his work with Lewis and Tolkien, um, Charles Williams. Um, I will fully admit that his work was very dense. I am not the hugest Charles Williams fan. Um, But if you want much more of that philosophical sort of like, you know, where literal concepts of like love and, you know, like love is literally embodied at various points. Um, Like, Charles Williams is definitely worth at least checking out. So,
4: And as far as um, if you want unreliable narrators, one of the best unreliable narrators is, again, The Last House on Needless Street by Catriona Ward. That one is a horror book, um, but it's fascinating. Like, you can't really, I can't really say a whole lot about it because... There's just so many twists in it, but it it's brilliant. It's her first novel, and it's it's amazing. Um, again, it doesn't it doesn't have the same like upbeat tones that Piranesi has, but it is it still has that like coping with past wrongs done and figuring out present and future, and as well as like trying to figure out what happened in the past um, all while not being able to rely on what, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, it's, it's really interesting, especially if you like that kind of psychological deep dive.
1: (laughs) Thank you all so much uh, for joining me. Uh, I'm Madeline, your host, and I'll let my, my, uh, fellow voices here introduce themselves one more time.
3: right. I'm Lisa Eldred. You can find me on Twitter as First Crusader, or my website is wasabijane.com.
0: I'm Joey Thurmond. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at uh, SaveAsDoc, S-A-V-E-A-S-D-O-C. And I also have a website with the same name, SaveAsDoc.com.
2: I don't do any of the uh, Twitters or other public socials. Um, My friends find me on Facebook, but that's about it.
1: We're happy to have you.
4: <laughs> and I'm Katie Tejador and you can find me on Twitter at K-R-R tejador That's T-E-J-E-D-O-R.
1: I'm Madeline Turnipseed. You can find me on Twitter like twice a month at mad underscore seed. Um, I'm also uh, in the LTN uh, Facebook group and Discord as well. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, stay tuned in the Love Thy Nerd community to see what we're reading next. If you have thoughts about a book we're discussing that we might read on air or books that you want to suggest for us to read, drop Madeline a line at madeline at lovethynerd.com. Uh, be sure to check out all the podcasts on the LTN Podcast Network and LTN Radio. Pollist, Humans of Gaming, Free Play, Church Nerds, two words. I'm sure many more to come. Uh, you can connect with us on all your social media platforms. Just search Love Thy Nerd or find links on our website, LoveThyNerd.com. Thank you for listening.
0: This has been the LTN Book Club. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com bookclub book club.